0: We're beginning a new series of studies on Sunday morning today called More Than Conquerors. And for the next six weeks, we're going to be exploring this idea of victory in the believing life. And we're going to be taking our studies from the book of Joshua. And so if you've not already done so, I would encourage you to turn to Joshua chapter one. We'll be reading the first six verses there in just a moment. The title of this morning's message is Living as a spiritual warrior living as a spiritual warrior i got to just stop for a second and we were talking about praising the lord and i just want to praise the lord for last weekend i don't know if you were here or not but we saw god do some remarkable things in the lives of some people and that work is continuing today we have rolled out a 30 different resource guides to help families and single adults and senior adults in all stages of life to address biblically issues that they're facing. We want to partner with you as your church family in your efforts to fight for your family. And last weekend, we saw nearly 700 people in worship come together to say, we want to do that, over 600 people in Bible study. And I praise the Lord for that. This weekend, we've had dozens of students in our Disciple Now weekend, our D. Now weekend. And they are in Bible study right now as one big group. Usually they're in two groups, but today they're in one big group. And they'll be coming in, dragging in at 10.30 for uh, worship. And uh, But we can rejoice and praise the Lord for what He's done. We've had outstanding speaker, worship leader with the students this weekend. Last fall, when I was beginning to pray about 2016 and what the Lord would have us Study in His Word as a congregation, where do we need to go? Uh, The Lord impressed on my heart that we needed to study victory. That we talk too much about our failures and we live with an attitude of defeat. And you know, a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, we talked about turning points in our lives. If you look at the main characters in the Bible, their entire lifetime is summarized as a series of two or three or four major turning points in their life that determined the trajectory of their life. And those turning points are critical, and we've seen that. But not every turning point is supposed to be a defeat for you and me. And God wants you to experience victory in your life. When we sit around in heaven as a believer one day, When we sit around in heaven in the future, we're not going to sit around and talk about our defeat stories. We're going to talk about the victories of God that we experienced in our lives. Joshua, the book of Joshua, is a book about victory. And as you study this book and read this book with me, we're not going to look at every story in it, but as we look at it together... I want you to see that it is a story of what happens when the people of God enter the promised land. Now, the promised land was something that they had anticipated for over 400 years. God first spoke of it to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you this place. And then they went into captivity and they were slaves in Egypt and and God delivered them and brought them out. And now they're at this point where they're going to go into the promised land. Now, they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they were afraid to do it the first time. They didn't have faith in God, faith that they could do it. But now here they are, and they're about to enter that land once again. This book is filled with insight into the kind of life that God wants you to have as a Christian, that he has called you to an abundant life, in a life where you experience victory in Christ. Now you say, this is an Old Testament book. How can it talk about my life as a Christian? Well, you may want to just jot down on the margin 1 Corinthians 10, really the whole chapter, but I'm just going to read one verse. First Corinthians 10, verse 11. The key to knowing how Joshua applies to your life today is right here in this verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now, all these things happened to them as examples. It tells the story of the Exodus, and it describes that story. And then he says, now, all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition. It happened to them as examples, and it was written down for our admonition that we would be warned, instructed, that we would glean lessons from this in terms of what it means to walk in the life that God has promised that you could have. So I want to call your attention to the first uh, first six verses of Joshua 1. And here's what we read. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. So Joshua is going to be a leader. And all the leaders in the Old Testament are models for you and me. Just as in the New Testament, the Bible says that pastors, elders, uh, shepherds are to be examples to the flock. In the same way, leaders in the Old Testament and the New Testament are to be models and examples. For you and for me. And so Joshua is an example of a spiritual warrior. You say, why do you say that? Because of what God tells him here. God doesn't give him a great set of uh, instructions for how to take the promised land. He doesn't give him a set of tactical strategies to use to enter into the promised land. But what God gives him is a promise and a relationship. With God Himself. And we're going to explore this today, but He is living at this moment as a spiritual warrior. How does someone do that? I want to build this this morning around two questions. The first question is this What is a life of victory? What is a life of victory? The second question is Can I live a life of victory? Let's look at the first one. What is a life of victory? Four things I see. Number one, refusing to settle for life in the wilderness. I can't live a life of victory if I continue to live in the wilderness. In verse 2, God says, Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. This was the purpose for leaving Egypt. Not just to get out of bondage not just to get out of slavery. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23, he says, Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. The whole purpose for the deliverance from Egypt was so that they might arrive in the promised land. Now, the crossing of the Red Sea was to the people of Israel what salvation is to you and me? What's what's the the first symbol that comes to mind when you think of Christianity? What is it? First symbol, people wear it around their necks. What is it? A cross. The Red Sea crossing. They didn't have a cross yet. The Red Sea crossing for the people of Israel was like the cross to them. It pictured salvation. It pictured deliverance from slavery and from bondage. It was a picture of God bringing them out of a place that they had no power over, nothing they could do to fix it or to correct it. And so the Red Sea represents salvation to the people of Israel, and it represents salvation for our purposes today as well. The Jordan River, he says, now therefore arise, go over this Jordan. In Deuteronomy it says he, he delivered us from so he might bring us in. Well, the Jordan River crossing is that moment when they begin to cross into the promised land. Now, contrary to what a lot of popular older hymns say, Canaan and crossing the River Jordan is not entering heaven. In heaven, there are no, there are no giants to be defeated. In Canaan, there are giants. In heaven, there is no sin. In Canaan, the people of God sin. In Canaan, there is great fighting and warfare and conflict, but in heaven, the battle's over. Canaan represents a promise of a certain kind of life that is available to you and me now. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You would not know that to look at the average Christian tomorrow morning. Abundant life, a Spirit-filled life, a life where in cooperation with His Spirit, walking in the power of His Spirit, we experience the power and the presence of God. This is the promised land. This is why Joshua is so valuable to study for you and for me. Between the Red Sea, salvation, and the Jordan River crossing, which is the life God has for you, this abundant, spirit-filled life. What's in between? The wilderness. The wilderness. And unfortunately, I believe way too many Christians are spending the entirety of their lives having escaped Egypt, but never having entered the promised land. The speaker for the D-Now this weekend, Chad Grigsby, did a great job teaching the students and yesterday morning he stressed that Christians can live their entire lives saved by God but they keep living like everything depended on them to get to heaven works performance am I good enough the life of victory begins by refusing to settle for the wilderness whatever it means Lord to have an abundant life that's what I want Whatever it means to be filled with your spirit and to walk and to experience your presence and your power, that's what I want. Refusing to live in the wilderness is a key element of a life of victory. There's a second one that I want you to see. What is a life of victory? It's number two, taking territory from the enemy. Taking territory from the enemy. In verse three, he says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said Moses. What are these places? These are places that belong to the enemy right now, and they could be classified in the New Testament really in the two things. There's your life and the areas of your life that constitute your character, your personality, your behavior, your decisions. That's one area where there are victories to be won, Habits to overcome, changes that God wants to make in you to make you more like Christ. And that's an area that's a battlefield. I'll tell you another one. Others, everybody you know, there's a battle raging for the souls of men and women in this auditorium. There's a battle raging for the souls of men and women and boys and girls in Cross County, every single one of them. And you and I need to understand that in verse 3, he says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. Every place. The New Testament bristles with the language of warfare. And, and you can't hardly read through it without seeing conflict in the Gospels. Everywhere Jesus went, he did battle with Satan. And then you read the Apostle Paul. And everywhere he writes, he, he refers to this conflict, this fight that you and I are engaged in. It's not a battle against people. He tells us it's not flesh and blood. It's not a battle with guns. It's not a battle with a bad attitude or being mean or unkind or hateful to someone. It's a spiritual battle. And it's fought very, very differently. It's fought with the God of this world. In your life, for example, um, Ephesians four twenty-six to 27, the Apostle Paul, for example, says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. We've taught about this before, that if I respond wrongly to a situation, um, when someone makes me angry, I have every reason to be angry. It's their fault. I mean, that's the nature that's here. He says, be angry and sin not. What he's saying is, be angered. Someone's done it to you. Someone's provoked you in some way someone's as we like to say ticked you off and he says when that happens to you he says don't sin nor give place to the devil Now, what does he mean by that in Ephesians 4 what does he mean he's saying that if I respond to that with bitterness if I respond to that with hatred if I respond to that in a wrong way what am I doing I'm turning on the the landing lights to my heart for the enemy to come and land his whole operation into my life. I'm giving him a place where he can set up shop in my soul and take advantage of me and hold me hostage. I'm a Christian. I belong to Christ. But Paul warns us not to give place to the devil in our lives through wrong responses to certain things. These are strongholds. We're going to talk more about that next week. But we got to take that territory back from the enemy when it comes to people. The Bible Jesus three times in the Gospel of John, refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. Paul later describes him as the god of this world or this age. Now Jesus, in calling him the ruler of the world, uses a Greek word. The word is archon. And the Greek Language, when you use the word archon to describe a ruler, you were saying that this person was the highest-ranking authority in a geographical region. And three times, Jesus said that Satan was the archon of this world. The Apostle John would write later, 1 John five nineteen. he says, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That's after the cross, after the resurrection, years after that. Why is that significant? Well, this will make more sense in a moment, but just, just help me, stay with me for a moment. As we think about the people around us, as we think about ourselves, that means every media executive, every television producer, every news editor, books, all the things that you and I take into our lives, all the things that we let influence us are written, if they're not Christians, are written and put out by people under the influence of the God of this world. That doesn't mean they're all evil, ugly, but it does mean that they are enslaved and they need to be set free, and we're in a battle, a conflict, not only for our lives, but for the lives of others. Salvation is deliverance from Satan and his dominion. In Colossians 1.13, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and He has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, delivered from one kingdom, and then translated and placed into another kingdom. That's what happens at salvation. Your address on earth may stay the same, but your spiritual address has gone way, way to a new place. And so you and I must take territory from the enemy. Jesus wants to set you and everyone you know, he wants to set them free. How does he do that? Well, the clue is in the rest of that verse. Let's just go to number three. What is a life of victory? Number three, it is fighting battles that have already been won. Now, the rest of that verse says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. He doesn't say, I will give you. The land he says I have it's already yours it's done it's complete the rest of the verse says it shall be your territory no man shall be able to stand before you a couple weeks ago before our first Sunday of the new year uh, that entire week uh, both myself and my wife in talking together, praying together, had, had, be, had sensed great conflict swirling around our family and our church. And so we were praying about that. And I felt very strongly, as earlier in that week before January 3rd, I felt very strongly we needed to, to pray about that. And some of you are dear prayer warriors, and, and you pray for our church family on a regular basis, and I'm so thankful for those men and women that that do that. On Saturday before Sunday, I um, I came down here to walk around the church, and Lord knows I need to walk. But my purpose in the walk was not just to exercise. My purpose in the walk was to pray. That this would be truly a sanctuary a holy place where the presence of God would be felt and sensed by the people of God, that everyone that set their foot on this property would recognize something remarkable here. And As I was walking and I was wrestling with what the enemy does when he attacks and how he tries to stop you from doing what you know God wants you to do, I looked down on the side of the uh, parking lot where I was walking, and, and I saw the grass. And, um, and I thought, just for a moment, this is how deep your pasture is, okay? I thought, you know that grass there, that, that blade of grass right there? That blade of grass belongs to God. And the one next to it, it belongs to God. And every blade of grass on the planet belongs to our God. And every animal that draws breath belongs to our God. And every piece of property on the planet belongs to our God. And every molecule and every atom in the entire universe belongs to our God. And Jesus, when He came and died for you and me on the cross, and when He walked the earth, He was showing us what it looks like when the kingdom of God is comes into a human heart and comes into a place. And God doesn't lose. And God never comes second. And He always wins the victory. He's already defeated the enemy of your soul and the souls of every person you know. Just jot down in the margin, Matthew 12, verse 28 to 30. Jesus Matthew 12, 28 to 30. Jesus had cast out um, a man that could not speak. He cast the demon out of the man and then he was able to speak. And the religious leaders criticized Jesus and suggested that he was able to do that because somehow he was in a partnership with the devil. And Jesus responds to that in verse 28 with these words. But if I cast out demons... By the Spirit of God. See, he, he had just said that if I was in league with the devil and I'm casting out demons, that makes no sense. A house divided against itself can't stand. He says, but if I cast out demons by means of the instrumentality of the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's a demonstration. The demon expulsions are a demonstration of what it looks like when God is in charge. How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, whenever anything like this happens, when the enemy is defeated, it's because I have already removed his ability to resist you. I have already completely censored him and corralled him and tied him up. And then Jesus says this, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So what's he saying? He's saying in this whole world, you have people who are enslaved by a very real Satan and his armies. But I, he says, have defeated him, and I am gathering, I am plundering, his stuff. And I'm taking from him the people and the places and the areas of your life that currently are influenced and controlled by him. Will you gather with me? That's what he's saying. Will you join me? Will you go with me into this life, this promised life, this abundant life? Will you go there with me? Will you gather with me? If this is true, That what you and I do when we go out in the community this afternoon or tomorrow and we go to workplaces or we go to friends and they don't know Christ, what you and I are doing when we're sharing our faith, what you and I are doing when we battle sin in our life is a mop-up operation because the war is already finished. The victory is already won. So cleaning out the resistance in our own life And the dominance of sin, you and I can go to war with sin in our heart. It's not inevitable that you remain in whatever sin habit you're struggling in all your days. It's not. There is hope. There is a way in Christ to overcome the sin habits in your life. I did a funeral, another funeral this week for a young man that took his life because he lost all hope. The night before, he was reading his Bible He marked the place where he was reading. It would break your heart if I told you the story. And he didn't know Christ. And most of his family didn't know Christ. And I'm thinking, why did no one get to him when there was still time? You and I are in a bloody battle. We're in a fight. Eternity is at stake. The people near you, they're not just people who ought to be in church. They're people who are dying and going to hell. And they're being destroyed and eaten alive. By a deadly enemy how would you play a game how would you play a game I watched LSU play Arkansas last night just forget that how would you play a game that from the moment you stepped onto the field or stepped onto the court you knew you were going to win you knew it already it didn't matter what happened in the game. Didn't matter how far you got behind. Didn't matter where you failed, where you messed up, where you lost the ball, where you fouled out. Wouldn't matter. Any of those things wouldn't matter because you already know at the beginning of the contest that the game is yours. How would you live differently? You know, Romans 8 says, You and I are more than conquerors. Why? Because Christ loved me, and He loves you. When I trust him, he possesses me. And no one, not death, not life, not anything I do, no person on the planet can take me from him and from his love. I am more than a conqueror. And so are you. So the Lord is saying, I've already given you the land. It's already a done deal. It's just a matter of how much of it you want. And how much of it do you want? If you look at verse 4 in Joshua 1, the promised land, the dimensions that are described there are about 30,000 square miles. Solomon took more territory and brought it under the rule of Israel than any other king in the Old Testament. And at the height of his glory, At the height of his influence, at the height of his authority over territory, of that 30,000 square miles, at best, he only had about 3,000 square miles, about 10%. Now, God said you can have all of it. God said everywhere you set your foot, it's yours. How much of it do you want? How much victory do you want in your life? How many people do you want to see saved in win Arkansas? How many marriages do you want to see healed and restored in win Arkansas? I'm afraid that we may not even get close to a tenth, most of us, of what God has for you and me and what he wants to do through you and in you. What is a life of victory? Number four, it's depending on the presence and power of God. Depending on the presence and power of God. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, he says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. And then in verse 9, he says, The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The problem most of us have is that we come to church and we hear the Bible and we say amen, but, but we have grown accustomed to nothing else happening in our lives and nothing changing. When I was a little boy, one of the most exciting things that would happen would be in August, September, when the Sears wish book catalog would come in the mail. You remember that? And I don't, I don't know what your favorite thing was in there, but I would spend hours on my stomach with that thing open just looking at the stuff in the wish book. And I liked uh, Matchbox cars, uh, Hot Wheels that had little motors in them and and, and you could build these tracks, and they would be big tracks, and those Hot Wheels would go all around those tracks. And I always looked at the biggest set you could buy. And I don't remember what it cost, but it was way more than I had. And so all I could do was wish for it. Some people read the Bible that way. They read the Bible as a wish book. It is not a wish book. It is a faith book. And when you read the Scripture and God says, I'm going to be with you, He's going to be with you. And you should look for His power. You should look for evidence of His presence in your life and trust Him to do what He said He would do. Our God is alive. He's a living God. He's not just waiting for you to arrive in heaven. He has things for you to do. He wants to change you. He wants to conform you to the image of Christ. And so all these promises of God are available to you and me. They are not wishful thinking. They are the readiness of God to act in your life on your behalf, in you and through you. Second question, that's what a life of victory is. But can I live a life of victory? Can I live a life of victory? Look at verse 7. Make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now there are two essentials I see as we close that I want us to see that determine whether or not I'm going to be able to live this life that's being described. Two essentials. First one I see in Joshua 1, verses 6, 7, and 9. We've already seen it. In verse 6, he says, be strong and of good courage. In verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. In verse 9, be strong and good, of good courage. Are you getting an idea here? There's a pattern. Three times he says it. Three times. And the words are almost identical in meaning, although they're different Hebrew words. And they essentially mean to take something and make it firm, make it hard. And he's saying to you, and I'm going to put this in terms that I think you can understand. God Almighty is saying to you, be tough. Be tough. Be tough. Harden up. It's not an easy thing, it's not an easy life. But you can't go into it half-heartedly. And so there's a decision to make. This is an essential one. And here's the decision. And if it's one that you're making on your handout, you can just check that off if it helps you. You can stick it in your Bible and reread it. Here's the decision. I will be inflexible and unyielding in my pursuit of the life God has in mind for me. Inflexible and unyielding. Is that a decision that you're willing to make today? Lord, I don't even know what you have in mind. I don't know where the first battlefields are that you're going to take me to. I don't know what lies ahead. But I know that you've said that I'm going to win and I'm not going to lose. Ultimately, I have victory already. And so what does the Lord say to me? He says, be tough, Don. Be tough. Strengthen yourself. In truth, in me, in my promises, be courageous. But there's a second thing, a second essential for living a life of victory. You know, you and I are inundated with information, movies, television, books, news sources. And what I want to say to you this morning is that if that's the only intake that you have into your life, you're making it very difficult for you to live a victorious life whatever that looks like for you. And, um, and, and that steady diet, that steady stream is working against you. If you're going to battle, if you're going to war, what you need is good information, intel about your enemy, about the battlefield, about their capabilities. And, um, and so I, I brought with me a top secret file. Okay? Top secret file of intel. And God's Word is that for me. And it needs to be that for every believer. But if my intel is bad, my marriage is going to go bad. If my intel is bad, I'm going to have a hard time influencing and winning the battle of influence for my kids. If my intel is bad, I'm going to have a hard time learning to be joyful even in the midst of great trial and hurt and suffering if my intel is bad. So what do I need? I need good information. I need good intel. And what does God say to him? He says in Joshua 1 verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. What does that mean? It means you need to be talking about it. You need to be so full of God's word that you're talking about it. It shouldn't leave your mouth, but you shall meditate in it. What does that mean? It means it should fill your mind. You should be thinking about it. Where do you go when your mind drifts? What does your mind drift to? Oh, that next episode of Downton Abbey's coming on tonight. I know all the guys thought of that right away. Downton Abbey, get it? Anyway, all the guys are Downton Abbey fans. I'm sorry. All right. Meditating on it. What fills your mind? Thinking about it, reflecting on it. And then how often? He says day and night. All the time. That you may observe to do. Actually apply it. What are you applying of the word in your life right now? At this stage of your life. How are you growing? What are you learning? What are you applying to your life? According to all that is written in it. All the word. All the time. And it's a written word. That's why we talk about the Bible. All that's written in it. You know there are liberal scholars out there that don't believe that anything of the Old Testament was put down on paper until hundreds of years later from this. And here's Joshua, and he's about to enter the promised land, and he already has the law of God in written form. God himself says to do all that's written in it. And it's a written word. God didn't leave it for your imagination. Well, I think God wants me to do so and so. So much of what God has for you in terms of his will for your life is already available to you. And so, to fix my my intel problem about how to live, how to be a dad, how to be a husband, uh, how to be a pastor, how to be a son, how to be his son, All this is information in God's Word, and I cannot think that if I spend all of my waking hours receiving information from everything except God's Word, that I'm going to have the kind of information that's going to enable me to experience victory. And so that brings me not to a decision to be tough, but a discipline. That's the last thing I want you to see. It's a discipline. I will submit all my life, all my life, under the rule of all God's Word, all the time. You will not master that on this side of heaven, but it is a discipline that you want to always be growing in, always developing in. When you experience a problem, the first reaction that you should have is what does God's Word say about this problem? You have a decision to make. What does God's Word say about this decision? You're having a relationship problem. What does God's Word say about this relationship that I'm dealing with? God has more for you than you have ever imagined or dreamed possible. He wants to do more in you and through you than you have ever experienced up to this moment. I believe that with all my heart. When we read through this book, we're going to see the most amazing victories in the history of humanity. And it is an example written for our admonition, something for you and I to read and learn from and to apply to our lives. How do you need to respond this morning? At the end of these Bible studies, worship services that we have in a Baptist church, if you're a guest, one of the things that we do is we have a time of invitation or response. And during that time, we usually have pastors standing at the end of each aisle, and I'm usually standing here, and we are here to pray with you, to counsel with you, uh, to share God's Word with you. The most important decision you can make if you want to live as a spiritual warrior is to get on the right side, to choose Christ. And so I'm asking you today, do you know Him? Have you fully trusted Him for salvation? Have you escaped Egypt where there's slavery to sin, bondage to sin? Oppression by an evil ruler. Has God changed your heart on the inside? Do you need Christ? Some of you are dealing with problems that you could hardly describe to me if you were to sit and discuss them with me. They're so great. But there's no problem that you have that is so great that would not be changed dramatically by knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He never intended that you fight those battles in your own strength. He never intended that. And he wants to be with you. He wants to live in you. And he wants to change you. And this morning I want to invite you when we stand and sing to publicly and without shame claim Christ. Put your trust in him as your Lord and as your Savior. Everything necessary to accomplish your forgiveness for sin, he's already done. By dying on the cross, He he died for all your sins. There's nothing you can do about your mistakes and the sins that you've committed. Jesus Christ and His blood has already paid that price. And so all that remains is for you to come and trust Him and receive that salvation as a gift. Let Him part the Red Sea of all the difficulties of what it takes to save you. Let Him do it. Let Him save you. So when we stand and sing, would you come? And if your brother or sister and you are struggling, burdened in some area of your life, and you need someone to pray with you. These pastors are here. You can come and kneel at the steps. and We'll take as long as we need to to let the Holy Spirit come and speak and move among us. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power it has to speak to us and to stir us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are at work among us. And for the one who's reaching out to you right now, Father, I pray that you would rush in, speak to them words of encouragement and hope. For that dear one who wants to trust you right now, I pray they would cry out to you and say, Lord, save me. Lord, I'm putting my trust in you as as my God, my Savior, the only hope I have for a different kind of life. The only hope I have for heaven. And Father, for that dear one who's crying out to you right now, I pray not only would you hear their cry, but would you assure them that you are rescuing them at this very moment. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.